Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. An enormous amount of stuff going on today. President Zelensky of Ukraine just addressed Congress. The president's going to speak in a few moments. Zelensky calling for a new coalition, essentially, around the world, uh, a new alliance, he said. Um, it was pretty, very remarkable speech. Also, Greg Pallast will be with us. How billionaires pick Putin as Russia's Pinochet. And also how 40 years of the Reagan revolution's libertarian experiment have brought us crisis and chaos. Also, I want to get into the Supreme Court. It's now coming out that Ginny Thomas was up to her eyeballs in January 6th, or at least in the uh, Trump rally part of it. And, you know, the Supreme Court's approval is just going through the floor. And, well, I'll get into that in just a minute, about what we can do about the Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, why don't we have cameras in the court? Why isn't the court compelled to, you know, follow the canon of judicial ethics, et cetera? Also, Joe Manchin has joined the GOP in tanking a nominee for the Fed, Jamie Raskin's wife, by coincidence. I mean, she's extraordinarily qualified for this job, but she's not a big fan of fossil fuels. And also, Joe Manchin has come out and said, I don't see the need for electric cars. <laughs> this guy, this is the guy who has taken more money from fossil fuel interests than any other member of Congress. Surprise, surprise. So, to begin, the Constitution of the United States says very clearly in Article 3, Section 2, that the Congress shall regulate the Supreme Court and provide exceptions to what the Supreme Court can rule on. I wrote an entire book about this, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America, and uh, you know, interviewed some of the greatest legal minds in America and all that sort of thing, and, and, and quote you know, people going all the way back to the founders of the country. And it's just, it's just astonishing what is going on right now in, in the court. I mean, no other federal court in the nation would allow a defendant in a case before them to fly a judge on a private Gulfstream luxury jet to a luxury hunting retreat in Louisiana, and then a week later watch as that judge rules in that defendant's case. But that's what Scalia did with Dick Cheney. Uh, no other federal court would allow a judge to give a speech before a group that was funding a case before them and then rule in that group's favor. And yet that's what Neil Gorsuch did with the Fund for American Studies and the Bradley Foundation and the AFSCME case. No other federal judge would allow or, or federal court would allow a judge to swear revenge against a particular nonprofit corporation, in this case, the Democratic Party, like beer bong Brett Kavanaugh did when he said, you know, what comes around, what goes around, comes around. No other federal court would allow a judge to rule in a case where he owned a half million dollars worth of stock in a company, you know, presenting amicus briefs. Uh, in fact, it's illegal in some states. But John Roberts did just that in the ABC versus Herrero case. And that's not the only one. Uh, out of 37 cases where members of the court owned significant quantities of stock, in 27 of them, Roberts, Breyer, and Alito ruled in favor of the, of the company whose stock they owned, according to the group Fix the Court. And no other federal court would openly allow a judge's wife to interact and advocate for the interests of dozens of litigants before the court over decades. 
And now the, the court is on the verge of gutting the Environmental Protection Agency, and they're doing this using this, this BS textualist rationale that Neil Gorsuch has come up with, whose mother, by the way, had to resign after three years of running the EPA under Reagan in a cloud of, of controversy and scandal. So, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> it's, it's, Article 3 of the Constitution says the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction both as to law and fact, with such exceptions and under such regulations as the Congress shall make. And, you know, the, the, the power to establish and regulate the court is, is, is well established, Article 3 of the, of the uh, Constitution. We've seen it happen over and over again throughout our history. When John Adams was president and he saw that Thomas Jefferson was coming in in, in in the election of 1800, he didn't want Jefferson to be able to fill an empty Supreme Court seat. And so he got the Federalists in Congress to regulate the Supreme Court and reduce the number of justices on the court. Uh, Jefferson came in and increased it back up to where it was. When Andrew Johnson became president after, after Lincoln was assassinated, the, you know, Johnson was a slave owner. He was, he was friendly to the South. It was a terrible decision on Lincoln's part to make him his running mate. He thought it would heal the country, right? Look how that worked out. The Republicans at that time controlled Congress, reduced the size of the court so that Johnson couldn't put somebody on the court. And then after Johnson was left and Ulysses Grant came in, they increased the size of the court again. And, you know, that was the last time there was a significant regulation, as it were, of the court. But I am of the opinion, and I know a number of judicial scholars are, notwithstanding the trolls on, on Twitter, that Congress has the power to say that the Supreme Court shall operate, at least operate in a reasonable fashion, or operate under the Judicial Code of Conduct. In fact, what the Constitution says is that members of the court, the judges both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior. Well, who defines good behavior? Well, if the Constitution is putting Congress in charge of the court, I would say that it's Congress. And Congress gets to do that through, you know, the things like the, 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 the code of conduct. So, and I, I, I tell this story, this is, this is all in my piece today on HartmanReport.com titled, Congress Should Be Regulating the Corrupt Supreme Court, Where Are They? That, you know, back in, in uh, 1921, uh, William Howard Taft, who had been president he was our 27th president. He became the 10th chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, the only person to serve in both positions. And, you know, he's the one who came up with a lot of the, you know, the code of judicial ethics. And yes, the Supreme Court has completely ignored it ever since. It got updated in 1973. The Supreme Court still is ignoring it. And frankly, I, I think, you know, if the, if the court wants to continue to function as a credible institution, you know, it's, it's really time for Congress to say, okay, guys, we're going to do something about this. So also, by the way, uh, this is a new poll from C-SPAN and Pierpoint Analytics that they found that 84% of Americans think the court's decisions have an impact on their lives, and two-thirds of Americans want cameras in the Supreme Court. Again, this is something that Congress could mandate. 65% of voters think the oral arguments should be televised. 70% think that would build trust in the court's rulings and their proceedings and their process. Uh, if the members of the court want to behave like politicians, let's show them to the public the way politicians are shown to the public. I am absolutely down with that, and I think it should happen. Here on the Tom Hartman Program, talk media for the sane among us. Rose in Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rose, what's up? Hey, Tom. This is in regards to the draconian measures that the red states are doing to ban abortions, etc. Mm -hmm. If something like Roe v. Wade does get overturned, I don't think the Republicans are going to stop there. So no, of course not. To the states. They're all right. I mean, you've already got you've got you know, at least one Republican legislator calling for the death penalty for anybody involved with an yeah. abortion. You've got uh, the yeah, state of Missouri I mean, looking at the possibility of prosecuting women for receiving morning after pills through the mail. Back to yeah. you. And I don't I don't just mean those different aspects of it. But I think that if if they were to take over the House and the Senate and God forbid the White House, that they're going to try to swing the pendulum completely the other way and make it illegal at the federal level. And that goes for, like, things that you just talked about, too, all that kind of thing. So right. even people like me living in blue, a blue state shouldn't think that things 
we're safe from the right wing's motives. Everybody needs to get out and vote in every election. Don't take your don't do your protest vote or sit just sit it out. Everybody is at risk from Amen, the crazy Rose. stuff these people are doing. Amen. I, I completely agree. Thank you very much for this statement. Darnell in Las Vegas. Hey Darnell, what's up? What does it take to increase the numbers in the Supreme Court? Does it take to have all the Congress or the House? No, it takes a simple majority in the House and Senate unless somebody filibusters it in the Senate. In which case, it t- takes two-thirds. Magic. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Well, but it can be done. It can the way be done. it's going right now, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody went bring that to the table. Yeah. Because it's getting ridiculous. Yeah, no, this is, the size of the court is one of the ways that Congress has repeatedly regulated the court. This issue of whether a uh, code of conduct can be imposed on the court is a lot more ambiguous. It's never happened before. There are a couple of places in the Constitution, I think, that might justify it. The main one being that uh, justice is served during good behavior. Well, what defines good behavior? Does that mean that the only way to deal with the justices that are behaving badly is impeachment? Or does that mean that Congress can define behavior of the court that's acceptable and unacceptable? I tend toward the latter. I know that there are some lawyers and legal scholars who tend toward the former. But this has not been adjudicated. It's not come before the Supreme Court. It hasn't been, it ha- Congress hasn't tried it. It's never been done. So I, I'm, I'm very clearly in the camp of we don't know yet, but the only way to find out is to try. And I think, I think we need to do that. Darnell, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. Charles in Santa Monica. Hey, Charles, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? Hey, a uh, couple of quick things. First of all, I'd like to direct you to a very informative video over at Curiosity Nebula. It's called Charles. I'm not going to go watch it. You can tell me about it, but let's not why be is Russia, why promoting is Russia videos. Ukraine? That I have no idea what the province of it is on this. Okay. Know, on this program, why is so. Russia invading Ukraine? There's oil deposits in the Donbass and in the Crimea. Oh, they're huge. And, and they, all across the country, there's you know through the middle of part of the country where they grow wheat. There's there's coal underground, and it can be easily fracked for gas and oil too. Right. So these are the areas that, that Putin has invaded and wants to hold, cuts off the entire Ukraine's access to the Black Sea, which is where a lot of these deposits are. Yep. And in the Donbass as well. So yep. that would eliminate them being a competitor to Russia for natural gas to Europe. I'm not sure that there's so much a competitor. I mean, right now, mostly because they haven't really developed their fossil fuel uh, sector as well as they as they could. Mostly, you've got, what, four or five pipelines right now that go from Russia through Ukraine into Europe? Right, right. So Ukraine is charging a huge royalty on those pipelines. Right. So anyway, that's that. And uh, I disagree with you about NATO expansion, but that's a conversation we already had. So Yeah, well, I'm... I'm disagree in what context i mean i'm saying you know let moldova and ultimately ukraine be members of nato but nato is in my opinion a defensive force and i think that this invasion proves that a a because the eu has no army every nation has a military but they have no military and no military coordination that's what nato provides so taking down nato would be the equivalent in the americas of kind of taking down the defense department thanks a lot for the call brian and elkhart indiana hey brian what's up Tom, good day. Hey, I was calling to push back on the point about Democrats just automatically having to cast a vote for Democrats in the next election. I mean, how many years are we going to let Democrats fail us and keep lining back up to vote for them? I'm not seeing Democrats failing us, Brian. I'm seeing a couple of Democrats fail us. And if you're saying that we shouldn't be voting for Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema, I'm completely with you. But this narrative that is the main narrative ever since 2016 that has been promoted by Russian trolls on the internet, on social media, and is, you know, regularly promoted by uh, some third-party candidates that, you know, both parties are corrupt and just give up on it, I think it's not only completely wrong, I think it's, it's extraordinarily counterproductive. I get it. It's one of the most effective ways Republicans have suppressed the vote. In my book on Big Brother, there's a whole chapter about how the, in 2016, the campaign that Cambridge Analytica put together on, on behalf of Donald Trump, that, that specifically targeting Wisconsin was the example I use in my book, although they did it in eight or nine states. But in Wisconsin, the principal message that they delivered to hundreds of thousands of people in Wisconsin was both parties are the same, they're both corrupt, don't even bother voting. And the result of that was that the vote just in the city of Milwaukee dropped by 50,000 votes. 
Donald Trump won Wisconsin by 27,000 votes. So respectfully, your message is, I think, destructive to the future of America if you believe that Republican control is destructive to the future of America. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Just this week, from our Department President of Defense, President Joe Biden is speaking military, to the nation right now. Help them as they fight against this invasion. And I thank the Congress for appropriating these funds. This new package, on its own, is going to provide unprecedented assistance to Ukraine. It includes 800 anti-aircraft systems to make sure the Ukrainian military can continue to can continue to stop the planes and helicopters that have been attacking their people, and to defend their Ukrainian airspace. And at the request of President Zelensky, we have identified and are helping Ukraine acquire additional longer-range anti-aircraft systems and the munitions for those systems. Our new assistance package also includes 9,000 anti-armor systems. These are portable, high-accuracy high shoulder-mounted missiles that the Ukrainian forces have been using with great effect to destroy invading tanks and armored vehicles. It'll include 7,000 small arms, machine guns, shotguns, grenade launchers to equip the Ukrainians, including the brave women and men who are defending their cities as civilians and they're on the countryside as well. And we're and we and as well as the ammunition, artillery and mortar rounds to go with small arms, 20 million rounds in total, 20 million rounds. And this will include drones, which which uh, demonstrates our commitment to sending our most cutting-edge systems to Ukraine for its defense. And we're not doing this alone. Our allies and partners have stepped up to provide significant shipments of security assistance and will continue to help facilitate these deliveries as well. The United States and our allies and partners are fully committed to surging weapons of assistance to the Ukrainians. And more will be coming as we source additional stocks of equipment that, are all, that we're ready to transfer. Now, now I want to be honest with you. This could be a long and difficult battle, but the American people will be steadfast in our support of the people of Ukraine in the face of Putin's immoral, unethical attacks on civilian populations. We are united in our abhorrence of Putin's depraved onslaught, and we're going to continue to have their backs as they fight for their freedom, their democracy, their very survival. And we're going to give Ukraine the arms to fight and defend themselves through all the difficult days ahead. We're going to continue to mobilize humanitarian relief to support people within Ukraine and those who have been forced to flee Ukraine. In just the past few weeks, we provided $300 million of humanitarian assistance to the people in Ukraine and in neighboring countries. Tens of thousands of tons of food, water, medicine, and other basic supplies to support the people in need. Our experts, on the ground in Poland and Moldova and other neighboring countries are there to make real-time assessments 
of the rapidly evolving crisis to get urgently needed humanitarian supplies to the people in need when they need it. And we will support Ukraine's economy with direct financial assistance as well. And together with our allies and partners, we will keep up the pressure on Putin's crumbling economy, isolating him on the global stage. That's our goal. Make Putin pay the price, weaken his position, while strengthening the hand of the Ukrainians on the battlefield and at the negotiating table. Together with our allies and partners, we're going to stay the course, and we'll do everything we can to push for and end this tragic, unnecessary war. This is a struggle that pits the appetites of an autocrat against humankind's desire to be free. And let there be no doubt, no uncertainty, no question, America stands with the forces of freedom. We always have and we always will. I want to thank you all and God bless you. And I'm going to walk over and sign this legislation, sign this bill to allow the drawdown of those materials. And may God protect the young Ukrainians who are out there defending their country. That was President Joe Biden speaking uh, about the situation in Ukraine and, you know, the U.S. response to it. On the line with us right now, apropos of all this, is Greg Pallas, the investigative journalist, the author of uh, most recently How Trump Stole 2020 and previously The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, gregpallas.com, greg underscore pallas on Twitter. And Greg, I was amazed by your piece this morning, how billionaires picked Putin as Russia's Pinochet. Tell us about this. Well, it was it was weird. It was like a beauty contest. It looked like in the 1990s that the Communist Party was actually going to win the election in Russia to take back control under a guy named Zyuganov. And so the oligarchs, the multi-billionaires that, you know, uh, you have to understand, Yeltsin sold off 60 percent of the state assets, like the big oil companies, the steel plants, nickel plants to these billionaires, made them multi, multi-billionaires. And they decided, well, wow, if the communists come back, we're, we're in trouble. So they told Yeltsin, basically, we're going to steal the election for you. But you have to pick a successor who's like Pinochet, Augusto Pinochet, the dictator of Chile. Now, for uh, those who are uh, too young to remember, Pinochet was a dictator who overthrew the elected government of Chile, a communist uh, government. And anyone that got in the way was murdered. It was mass murder. He literally murdered 3,000 dissenters and prisoners. And that's what the billionaires wanted, a Russian Pinochet. And they even went and sent uh, like the Larry King, the Tom Hartman of Russia to Chile to interview the murderer, uh, Pinochet, who was under indictment for murder, uh, on what type of leader they needed. For Russia. And in, uh, yeah, they, they went, the Russians right. sent, went, actually went to Chile and had uh, Mikhail uh, Leontiev, who is like their, their Tom Hartman, hmm. uh, to interview Pinochet. Who do we need? And the description fit a guy, a minor apparatchik named Vladimir Putin, who, was, who had been the deputy mayor of St. Petersburg, a uh, judo uh, expert, and, not, and unlike Yeltsin, not a drunk. But they wanted someone who was basically a killer who would defend ultra capitalism. And so they forced Putin, uh, who, who didn't want, uh, excuse me, they forced Yeltsin, who didn't want Putin. He wanted one of his American uh, trained advisors. They forced Yeltsin to pick Putin as the next Russian Pinochet. And that's what they got. And in fact, one thing that should be very scary to everyone, the way that Putin made his name, when Yeltsin picked him as prime minister, first prime minister, that's how he was in place to uh, replace Yeltsin as president. And uh, what uh, um, Putin first did as prime minister was to move Russian troops into Grozny, the capital of Chechnya, which is a breakaway republic. And he slaughtered 50,000 civilians. And by the way, 14,000 Russian troops died. He didn't care. That made him a big hero in Russia. This was the and beginning of his political career. This is 1999. Right. Mass murder of Russian, Russian citizens, civilians in the city of Grozny, which he leveled just like he's leveling Kharkiv right now. By the way, um, a, uh, our prayers go out to um, Nick Parapolitis, who is our correspondent in Kharkiv. He's in a basement right now trying to stay alive. Oh, man. Um, and so I'm getting reports from him, uh, uh, you know, our thoughts with him. So Putin, you have to understand, is this was picked 
in a kind of beauty contest to who would be the most like this killer dictator Pinochet. And he won that contest and got the billionaire's backing. And that's how he became supreme and then proved his proved his Pinochet credentials by the mass murder of his own civilians in the city of Grozny. So look out, Ukraine. Yeah, and has, and has held power ever since. Um, yeah. You pronounce uh, uh, Pinochet's name with a hard T at the end. I, I had always well, heard Well, because he's, because he's, uh, uh, people uh, Frenchify his name. It's Pinochet because right. he's, it's Spanish, it's not French. I see. Okay, so that's how they pronounce it in, in uh, Chile. In Chile, yes. Is Pinochet. Exactly, where, I, where I've been and seen and talked to the victims of his torture chambers, his murder spree, and that's literally who they use as their model. Well, we had billionaires to find Putin. And, and, and not just there, by the way. I mean, I, we last last summer, uh, I guess it was the summer before last when when, you know, we had uh, right wingers in here in Portland showing up, you know, trying to provoke street fights and things. Uh, you know, one of the more common pictures, one of the more common T-shirts that they were wearing was free helicopter rides for liberals, you know, with a graphic of people falling out of helicopters. That was that was something that Pinochet uh, did. Right. You have to understand that one of Pinochet's favorite favorite sports was to take dissenters and throw them out of helicopters. Right. And this is the guy that Berezovsky and the oligarchs, the multi-billionaire oligarchs chose because they didn't care how much blood it took to keep control of their billions. Right. Well, there's there's also a Chicago school connection here, is there not? Oh, I mean, yeah. it was the Chicago school who brought, you know, Milton Friedman and, and his buddies from the Mont Pelerin Society and the, you know, the, the whole neoliberal movement who brought uh, Pinochet to power and, 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 and also helped bring Putin to power. Well, in, indeed, as, uh, as you know, Tom, I was the only American in the Chicago Boys group out of the University of Chicago that created this free market, so-called free market miracle. Yeah, you were a student of Milton Friedman's. I was a student. I was a protege of Milton Friedman um, as a, a postdoctoral student. And, um, you know, they, they, it was a murder spree. It was enforcing the free market with human slavery. Right. And it disgusted me. And I, I turned away from it, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it's an absolutely amazing story. Uh, and you can read all about it over at gregpalace.com. Uh, and uh, and of course, you can follow Greg on Twitter at Greg underscore palace. Greg, thanks for dropping by. And thanks for the enlightening little bit of history here. That was uh, fascinating. You're welcome. Tom. Yeah. Always good to talk to you. We'll be back. Uh, more of the news of the day and your calls in just a moment. 40 years of Reagan's revolution. Uh, this libertarian experiment have only brought us crisis and chaos. I'll be back with that right after the break. It's your media support group for We the People. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you, picking up your phone calls and uh, Eric in Fountain Valley, California. Hey, Eric, what's on your mind today? Yes, hi, Tom. When I hear you say that Russia is going to, if they uh, succeed in Ukraine, they're going to take the Baltics, they're going to take Hungary, they're going to take Poland, they're going to take Czechoslovakia, it reminds me of what we call the domino theory back in the 60s, which was used to sell us the Vietnam War. And yeah, except sure there's a substantial difference. You know, South uh, North Vietnam was uh, aligned with um, uh, China. That war had been going on since the, the mid-1950s. The French had tried to fight that war, and they were basically trying to take all of Vietnam. Um, there was, you know, I don't think, there, I, I think the, I, I get it that that analogy was used back then, but nobody seriously believed it. I, I, I realized Nixon was pushing it. And, and and what I, happened? I, I, I don't I, think I recall, and I was I was only nine or ten years old, but I recall it being a phrase that was used constantly. Oh yeah, by, by, by yeah by by apologists for the war. And they're going to take all Asia. And that's exactly what Africa, it's exactly what Hitler now. did, Eric. Correct. When Hitler but took, I think, I think this is it, very. I think this is very different than Hitler. I think what's going to happen if the Russians succeed in taking Ukraine is they will not be able to hold it. And they will have their hands full just trying to hold on to Ukraine. I agree. Because there will be a relentless insurgency. And I don't think they'll be physically able to turn their attention on invading another country. And I also believe that 
uh, NATO will physically be there to prevent them from trying to invade any other country. And yes, the nuclear blackmail will be there, but I do believe that NATO will have to stand up. Eric, I completely agree with you on all points. The, The point I made earlier was if Putin had been able to take Ukraine in five days, this would have most likely been the rest of his plan. And in fact, we have a leaked Russian plan to take Moldova as well. Um, You know, we don't have a leaked Russian plan about the the Balkans. But it looks to me like he's been stopped in his tracks. I mean, this is the equivalent of if, if, uh, you know, if France had jumped in to defend Poland back in 1939, um, you know, which obviously didn't happen. And eventually it ended up in France's doorstep. But, you know, you're absolutely right, Eric. I'm, I'm not disputing that. May I make one more point? Um, I'm constantly trying to think of sound bites for the Democrats to use. And Uh you mentioned some things that Democrats should be selling. I also think that Democrats should be saying Republicans, the party of 2008, Republicans, the party of 2020. And for people with longer memories, Republicans, the party of 1929. Yeah. Yeah, the Republican Great Depression. Eric, thank you. Thanks for thanks for listening to us on SiriusXM, and appreciate the call. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. My uh, op-ed over at HartmanReport.com is titled 40 Years of the Reagan Revolution's Libertarian Experiment Have Brought Us Crisis and Chaos. Um, you know, first, a couple of years ago, was Michigan's Republican governor replacing the publicly elected mayors in mostly black cities across, or largely African-American cities across Michigan with so-called emergency managers, which led to the bankruptcy of Detroit, led to the Flint water crisis and other, other problems. You know, auto, autocrat, autocracy or oligarchy just doesn't work as well as democracy, but now the Republicans in Tennessee are trying it. This week, they're trying a similar trick. They, they want the voters of the town of Mason, Tennessee, a uh, largely black community, to renounce essentially their their elected leadership. Well, this is what the headline at the Tennessee Lookout newspaper says. State officials asked residents of a small, predominantly black town near the site of a new Ford investment to forfeit their city charter or face takeover. You know, what's happened is that the Republican Party has just gone all libertarian, all authoritarian, all top-down all the time. And, uh, you know, the, the, the question that I, I constantly put out to the, the occasional libertarian who's willing to come on my program, and they are few and far between nowadays, is please name one country in the world where libertarian principles have, have uh, ruled, have reigned, and, and, and things have gone well instead of a disaster. I mean, I've seen countries where basically the only thing that works are, are the army and the police. Uh, you know, I was in, in Uganda during the, the war to oust Idi Amin. I was in Colombia, in Bogota, when all the bombings were going on and, and kidnapping had become like a national, national sport. I mean, this was years ago, but, um, you know, <laughs> I've seen what happens when, when social, you know, civil society breaks down the way that, you know, Ron Paul has been suggesting should happen in America for decades now. Um, you know, back years ago, I was in Copenhagen and I asked, you know, a conservative politician, I said, oh, you're a conservative. You must want to do away with Denmark's, you know, uh, single payer health care system. And he was like, what, are you crazy? 
I mean, it's literally what he said. Are you crazy? This is, this is what we get, right? I mean, you know, Ted Cruz fleeing to Cancun a year ago this month because, because uh, you know, a big freeze came down and hit Texas. Shouldn't surprise us, right? Or maybe it was two years ago this month. I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't do time well. One year, yeah. Sean's pretty sure it was one year. But, uh, you know, uh, this, and, and, you know, Ron Paul back, back in the day during the presidential debates when he was asked, you know, should, should uh, somebody's ability to pay determine whether they get into an emergency room? And he was like, yes, that's what freedom is all about, taking your own risks. Right. And this is what Texas did when they split their grid away from the rest of Americans. And, uh, you know, on it goes. I mean, you know, libertarian ideology, which is driving the Republican Party, the whole libertarian party thing was created back in the 40s by a real estate lobby that wanted real estate deregulated. And so they came up with this uh, fancy sounding political party, the Libertarian Party, and said, you know, this will be our front group. This is, and, and, and they've been the front group basically for billionaires ever since. And, you know, it's, it's why David Koch ran for vice president on the Libertarian ticket in 1980, a billionaire. And, you know, on a platform of end Social Security, end public education, end Medicare, end the Transportation Department, privatize our, our, our air traffic control system, privatize everything. You know, except for the army and the police and hell, they've been they've been privatizing the army like there's no tomorrow. You know, massive amounts of our federal budget are going to that. So where are we at now as a result of 40 years of Reagan's libertarian experiment? We got historically low taxes on corporation billionaires, an impoverished middle class, devastated labor unions, the highest rate of child poverty and maternal death in the developed world, millions without access to health care. So one in seven children going to bed hungry and our schools, roads and bridges are in shambles. Thank you, Republicans. Fox has now confirmed that uh, one of their cameramen was killed and one of their reporters was uh, wounded when Russian troops opened fire on their car in Ukraine. Is this going to change the, uh, the Fox tune? The pro-Putin tune that we're hearing out of Fox News? I don't know. We'll see. Meanwhile, apparently in a really tough move, Russia has imposed sanctions on uh, U.S. citizens, including Joe Biden's dead father. <laughs> what can you say? I mean, Jen Psaki had to, had to deal with this in a press conference. So, meanwhile, there's some interesting domestic politics that I think are worth pointing out. I, it's, it's so easy for everything to get lost in this war. You know, it is important, and we'll continue our conversation about it when I pick up your phone calls in just a few minutes. But there are two areas where Senator Manchin, uh, Senator Joe Manchin, the, the uh, for the moment, Democrat from West Virginia, who I am predicting if it looks like it's a 50-50 Senate after the next election, after this election this fall, or if the Republicans take the Senate, my prediction is Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema will probably both become Republicans. Because after all, that's the party of you know sellouts and people who are for sale. Joe Manchin is uh, one of the guys, certainly the Democrat, who has taken more money from the fossil fuel industry than any other member of Congress. And the Fed is down five people. And so Joe Biden is trying to get five new members of the Fed through the Senate. And, you know, most of it's going to be party line votes because Republicans are just trying to screw up anything. Anything Joe Biden wants to do, the Republicans want to stop it, including putting people on the Fed. Well, in this case, uh, one of the nominees is the wife of Congressman Jamie Raskin, who led the, in the first impeachment of Donald Trump. Um, and his wife is, you know, just extraordinarily qualified for this job. I mean, she was a member of the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors for years. Uh, she was the Deputy Secretary of the United States Treasury for three years uh, during the Obama administration. This woman is an economist. She understands what she's talking about. She's been there. She's got the experience. Why would you not want her there? Well, back in 2020, she wrote an op-ed for the New York Times. Two years ago, she wrote an op-ed for the New York Times criticizing the Fed for, quote, directing money to further entrench the carbon economy and calling fossil fuels, quote, a dying industry. How dare she point out the truth? I mean, we can't have that. 
So Joe Manchin, uh, he who takes mind-boggling amounts of money from fossil fuel companies and owns one himself, has said, uh, no, uh, the, the fossil fuel companies have cumulatively pumped millions of dollars into the campaigns of the 12 Republicans who are on the Senate Banking Committee. Uh, Manchin's not on that committee, but he is going to be a critical vote to confirm her. And he issued a statement saying that he would not vote in favor of Sarah Bloom Raskin's nomination for the Federal Reserve's vice chair of supervision because she doesn't like fossil fuels. You know, just like proving irony is not dead, Senator Manchin, you know, D-Cole, um, said uh, the Fed is not an institution that should politicize its critical decisions. Right. The future of our climate, the future of our nation, the future of our energy dependence, none of that's political. That all has to do with billionaires making money. Come on, guys. And along similar lines, uh, this from The Guardian today, an article by Oliver Millman, Joe Manchin has also said that he's going to, that he's, quote, very reluctant to see more electric cars in the United States. He spoke at a... (laughs) at a fossil fuel conference, an energy conference, Zero Week. And he said, I'm very reluctant to go down the path of electric vehicles. I'm old enough to remember standing in line in 74 trying to buy gas. I remember those days. I don't want to have to be standing in line waiting for a battery for my vehicle because we're now dependent on a foreign supply chain, mostly China. Well, gee, Joe, why do you kick in with Joe Biden and build charging stations across America and uh, start building man- batteries here in the United States like Elon Musk does? Uh, Manchin, this is the, the piece in The Guardian notes, Manchin, who has taken more money in political donations from fossil fuel in- interests than any other senator. And wow, I mean, if you're beating Langford, that's a big deal. Also said he has a hard time understanding why the federal government would invest in a network of electric car charging stations. They note this, his criticism is ominous for the White House's hopes of passing major climate legislation this year. That would be the Build Back Better bill. Uh, it's stalled, including half a billion dollars in clean energy tax credits and major rebates for electric car purchases. Nonetheless, by the way, electric cars are flying off the shelves, to use a metaphor. And have you noticed all the ads on TV for cars now are for electric cars? I haven't seen an ad for a gas-powered car. Maybe it's the network I'm watching or the networks I'm watching, which is mostly CNN and MSNBC and, and of course, uh, Free Speech TV, although they don't run ads for car companies. But haven't seen a gas car uh, in, in quite a while. And, in fact, uh, this past month, they note, has seen a strong increase in the number of people searching online for hybrid and battery electric vehicles because gas prices are back where they were in 2008 when George W. Bush was president. Remember then? Gas prices hitting $5 a gallon? Well, we're back there now. Also, Manchin says he doesn't want to promote electric cars because uh, some of those parts might be made in foreign countries. Well, most of our gas-powered cars have lots and lots of parts made in foreign countries. About half a million electric cars were sold in the the U.S. last year, up 80% over the previous year. Uh, Some of the top sellers right now are Ford Mustangs Mach-E and the Tesla Model Y. These are cars that are far less expensive. I mean, you've got the Freedom Truckers in D.C. driving $70,000 jacked-up high-end pickup trucks, gas and diesel pickup trucks, and, you know, two and $300,000 big rigs driving them around in circles around D.C., burning fuel, complaining about the price of gas. These electric cars are a hell of a lot cheaper, by and large. The new ones that are, that are out, the Chevy Bolt, the Nissan Leaf, I mean, there's a bunch of them. And owning an electric car is a lot cheaper than owning a gas car. You don't have hundreds of parts in the engine to replace or repair. You don't have oil to change. You don't have lubrication and heads and spark plugs and stuff to worry about. You basically have a battery and a motor and a little electronic module that controls them. And that's it. So uh, the Biden administration is aiming for 50% of all new car sales to be electric by 2030, eight years from now. And uh, last year it was only 3%. So that's, that's pretty substantial. But I can tell you, you know, Louise and I love it, the fact that, uh, you know, we've, we have a plug-in hybrid car uh, where it runs roughly 30 miles on a charge, which gets you anywhere you want to go in Portland and back home. 
And then when you run out of electricity after that 30 miles, it kicks over to gasoline and it's got a full tank of gas that'll take you 300 miles. So, you know, no problem, right? And you can buy gas anywhere. And a lot of people are moving to these plug-in hybrids. I, I, we have had this car for five years now and I've bought four tanks of gas in five years. And, you know, it's, and it wasn't that much more expensive. And yet it's got the electric battery and, and you know, making electric cars, there's a reason why all these companies are jumping into making electric cars. It's more profitable than making gas-powered cars because electric engines are cheap to make. There's zero maintenance. You, all, you know, the only maintenance you have to do with an electric car is have your tires changed. That's it. There's no oil change. There's no spark plugs. There's, I mean, it's, that's it. There's no drivetrain. There's no transmission. It's very, very simple. You got the chassis, you got the motors, you got the battery, and you got a control module, which is all electronics. It's a computer. But Joe Manchin doesn't like that, apparently. I wonder what it would be like to live in an America where it was illegal for fossil fuel companies to buy politicians. Andrea in O'Fallon, Illinois. Hey, Andrea, what's up? So I just was at the pump at the gas station and I saw one of those god awful stickers with Joe Biden pointing and saying, I did this. So I got so enraged. I just, you know, I peeled it off of my, my debit card. And so it's a older gentleman, white hair, mustache, pumping right next to me. And he heard me scoff about it. And so as I finished pumping, I said, excuse me, sir, do you believe that Joe Biden is in control of gas prices? He said, yes. And this is why. He starts spewing out these talking points from Fox. Yeah. And then he also said within them, oh, but I'm confused. You know, I used to be a Democrat, but now I don't know what's going on. So I listened and I said, sir, I, I understand it's a confusing time, but understand this. No president is in control of a gas price because we're a capitalist nation. Understand that. Yeah. He said, OK. And I said, I know that it's a confusing time, but you got to ask yourself, sir. Who wants you to be confused? Why do they want you to be confused? Things can be so simple. He said, you know, I understand that we have wars going on everywhere. In Yemen, not only in Ukraine. You know, people need to understand. I said, I understand that as well. And he said, but I just don't agree with letting in immigrants just any time. I said, <laughs> he said, I'm an immigrant myself. And I immigrated 33 years ago and I paid taxes. And I said, sir, I understand that. But just as you came and paid taxes as an immigrant, other immigrants have that same opportunity and they should. This is America, the land of the free. Mm -hmm. And I want to, and I said, sir, my name is Andrea Sullivan. And I want to help you. I want to help gentlemen like you because I know we're living in a confusing time. But this needs to be understood. We are in a battle of good versus evil. And there is good and on bad in both, both sides. He's just like what well, I was agreeing with what he said. He initially said that no matter if you're black, white, Asian, Yemen, wherever, they're good and bad. I said, exactly. And you have to understand why people want you to be divisive in the first place. And we agreed. I shook his hand. And I believe wholeheartedly that I, today, did something to change him a bit, just to open his eyes up a little bit. Because you have to ask yourself, why, why do people want divisiveness? Why is Putin going to war? He is literally, Trump is the same. They want confusion. They want corruption. They want they want to fight. Yeah. For what reason? Yeah, but <laughs> typically for power or for money for or both. Yeah. Uh, okay. Andrea, thank you. Always. Yeah, thank you. Good on you. you I guys. Mean, Have a good one. Yeah, thank you, Andrea. That, that was, that's spectacular. That's, that's amazing. Our Town Hartman University book review of the day is Richard Belzer's new book, Corporate Conspiracies, A Wall Street Took Over Washington. This is from the introduction. Of all the books we researched for this work, the title we loved the most was this one, Regime Change Begins at Home, Freeing America from Corporate Rule. We loved it because it presents as a hard fact something that very few people completely understand. And then he quotes from that book. Since 1980, America has been run by a corporate regime that has co-opted both political parties and shifted sovereignty from we the people to transnational corporations, end of quote. Since this book covers some co corporate conspiracies, we will no doubt take a lot of heat for that and be deridingly referred to as conspiracy theorists. So we would just like to remind people that the phrase conspiracy theorist 
was actually invented by the Central Intelligence Agency, be used as a weaponized term with which to discourage people from seeking the truth. We kid you not. CIA document 1035-960, dated April 1, 1967, regarding the agency's concern about the reputation of the American government, in quotes. That document also suggested various tactics for countering, quote, conspiratorial arguments, which confronted the gaping holes critics observed in the findings of the Warren Commission, which investigated, in quotes, they really did no such thing in reality, the assassination of President Kennedy. Quote, the agency also directed its members to employ propaganda assets to negate and refute the attacks of the critics, end quote. So as you can see, and as the Freedom of Information Act release of that CIA document clearly reveals, the use of the term conspiracy theorist is actually a conspiracy itself. But if you believe rightly that Julius Caesar and hundreds of other leaders were the victims of conspirators, as they were, then you're an evil conspiracy theorist, right? Well, if anybody actually believes that, then you'd better read up on your history, boys and girls, because conspiracies are an ongoing and very common occurrence in human conduct. Now, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Are you aware that many friends of Robin Williams believe that his suicide was the direct result of the prescription drugs he was taking? And that over 23,000 suicides are attributed to psychiatric drugs each year in the United States? Did you know that turning prisons into a big business has resulted in the United States having the highest incarceration rate in the history of the world? And the most are just drug crimes? Are you aware that the historic event of the toppling of the statue of Saddam Hussein in Iraq was actually a U.S. military PSYOPs, Psychological Operations Warfare Program, a completely orchestrated event with the knowledge and assistance of U.S. media and not a spontaneous event as it was portrayed by our media? Did you know that the Pentagon is sending $1.5 trillion of our tax dollars to their corporate buddies for a new fighter jet that's already superfluous? Are you aware that continuing to rely on oil instead of investing in low-carbon energy solutions will cost us $44 trillion due to climate change? Did you know that companies like General Motors at times know that their products will kill people, but they do nothing because it's actually cheaper to compensate the victims than it is to correct the problem? Then read and learn on, friends. American corporations have been getting away with murder, literally, for many, many years. Just take a good look at their history. The above example of GM is a proven point. Consumer advocate Clarence Ditlow, executive director of the nonprofit Center for Automotive Safety, bitterly criticized the settlement, quote, GM killed over 100 people by knowingly putting a defective ignition switch into over 1 million vehicles, Ditlow said. Today, thanks to its lobbyists, GM officials walk off scot-free while its customers are six feet under. Tobacco companies knowingly lied about the harmful effects of cigarettes for decades, even though there was plenty of known medical proof of their damage. They even knowingly hid that information from the public. Oil, gas, and chemical companies have been knowingly polluting our planet with cancer-causing chemicals and products also for decades, and they know that they're doing it. Pharmaceutical companies have lied and attempted to minimize news coverage regarding the deaths that they know the drugs will cause. That's murder, plain and simple. Maybe you can paint a public relations damage control over that landscape if you happen to have all their tons of money and paid political influence, but it's still murder. Look at the parents of one of their victims straight in the eye and try and tell them it's not murder. Do you honestly think they'll listen to you? This book is an effort to reveal the insanity of corporate greed once and for all. At this point, most people probably care more about their local football team than they do about the workings of our democratic republic. And while we understand their frustration and their reasons, that's not good enough, folks. We have to all get involved to stop these bastards from getting away with what they've been getting away with for far too long. They're robbing us blind, poisoning our planet, hijacking our democracy, and ruining the futures of our children and grandchildren. They must be stopped. As an agent of the U.S. government employed to implement policies to benefit U.S. corporations, John Perkins noted in his classic work, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, that corporate America has extended its rule beyond our borders. Quoting from Perkins, what we had previously considered U.S. corporations were now truly international, even from a legal standpoint. Many of them were incorporated in a multitude of countries. They could pick and choose from an assortment of rules and regulations under which to conduct their activities. And the multitude of globalizing trade agreements and organizations made this even easier. Corporatocracy had become a fact, and it increasingly exerted itself as the single major influence on world economics and politics. Sad to make this observation, but we have become a government of the corporations, by the corporations, and for the corporations. That's Richard Belzer's new book, Corporate Conspiracies. 
Larry in Eveleth, Minnesota. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching us yeah, on Free sure. Speech. Thank you. Hi, Tom. Heard on Free Speech a few nights ago that people close to Vladimir Putin are saying he's almost afraid now to show any weakness because he's fearful the people around him will not provide him safety or security, that he would be yep. a dead man. I think that's why um, he's, you know, sitting 30 feet away from people at his giant table. <laughs> I've been saying that all along. Like I don't think it's COVID. Hard to kill him with a butter knife at that distance. Exactly. Um, about the gas prices, our five petroleum big shots made $49 billion in the last five weeks, pure profit. Mm-hmm. I forget what C was, but D was haha to the truckers at five miles to the gallon and five dollars to the gallon, wasting their money and, you know, idling their trucks to stay warm and keep their loads safe. Right. And uh, let's just skip right to E. You are the Daniel Webster to the brightest of Americans. And I thank you so much for yeah. doing the work you do. Well, and thank I'll you, Larry. Up. And frankly, I find that praise embarrassing. <laughs> I'd rather it didn't happen. That's all right, sir. So, but, but, right. but I appreciate your, your, your comments. And I'm with you on the oil and, and in particular on the truckers. I mean, this is nuts. You know, these guys driving, you know, the, the, uh, a lot of them are pickup trucks. I mean, like literally 50, 60, $70,000 pickup trucks. And then you got, you know, three, four, five hundred thousand dollar, you know, big rigs and they're out there burning gas to protest masks, tyranny, vaccines, high gas prices. I mean, at what point does this cease to make any sense at all? And by the way, just to flag you, uh, to flag, you know, something that I think is, uh, you know, really worth paying attention to. Um, President Biden just tweeted, just tweeted. I mean, this was like just a few hours ago. Oil prices are decreasing. Gas prices should, too. Last time, oil was $96 a barrel, which is what it is right now. Gasoline was $3.62 a gallon. Now it's $4.31. Oil and gas companies shouldn't pad their profits at the expense of hardworking Americans. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just laying it right out there. And hopefully more Americans will be figuring this out. But the price of oil hit $120 a barrel and the price of gasoline hit $4.25 a gallon. And then the price of oil went down. And it, it's continued to go down for over a week now. It went down to $90 a barrel a couple of days ago. It's, it's, it's about there now, right now, a little less than $100 a barrel. It's in the neighborhood, it's in the 90s. And uh, he says, like he said, last time it was $96 a barrel, gas was $3.62, but gas is now over $4.30 a gallon. And that's nationwide. I mean, you know, an average price. Some of the actual prices are much higher. So I retweeted that. I would suggest that you pick it up and retweet it too, and let's spread the word because uh, <laughs> this is grim stuff. Holly in Hinsdale, Illinois. Hey, Holly, what's up? Hey, Tom, I have a, an idea which I think you might be interested in to following up on how these oil companies are gouging us at the pump. What if we were to have a, a program, maybe we could take money out of the uh, infrastructure bill that's already passed, and when a consumer fills up and say he's got a $60 a bill and say it's an Exxon station, the consumer can take it to the Secretary of State, get reimbursed for for the, for the $60, or for, say, 50% of it, but have the oil company pay half of it and the federal government pay half of it. I think if we could make this happen, that would be a great coup for President Biden because he's getting all this heat on gas prices. Yeah. And it would be a, a great benefit to the consumer. What do you think? I think it, it is over, you know, I, I love the sentiment, Raleigh, and, and uh, you know, keep thinking. But I, my concern is that it's, it's overly complex, that most people don't have the time or ability to go to the Secretary of State's office or any place else to get a refund. It's the problem with the tax credit, too, and, and, and that is that for a whole year you have to put up the money up front. I think that what Biden is doing right now, what President Biden is doing right now, which is pointing out that these big oil companies are, who are having record profits right now, absolutely record profits, historic profits in the oil industry right now, the big five companies in America. And they're using the billions of dollars in profits that they're making to buy back their own shares, which jacks up the value of their stock, the price of their stock. And since uh, most of these executives are well compensated using stock options, 
that means, you know, if they if they got their stock options at, uh, you know, if they can buy stock at $20 a share and they can drive the price of the stock up to, up to you know, $50 a share, they can more than double their money simply by exercising their stock options. And this is an old game. Big business people have been playing it for years and years. But Biden is pointing out that they are playing it in a big way right now, and they're gouging American consumers. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Uh, Gloria in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Gloria, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi. You know, I'm confused. I don't understand why Zelensky won't join the G7, which way make it the G8 and save his people. I he would don't have to be invited. Oh, so why don't we invite him? Well, because the G7 is about economies. It's about, it's, about, it's about countries who control enough money, basically, that they can alter the way that the flow of money around the world or the flow of commerce around the world goes. The principal job of the G7, G8, G, G, you know, it's been di different groups at different times. But their principal job is to look out for, shall we say, the economic interests of their nations. And Ukraine's economy is tiny. I mean, Ukraine is one of the was one of the poorest countries in Europe. Um, it is much poorer now. I don't recall their GDP right now, frankly. But I would be surprised if Ukraine's GDP was and that's equal to the Michigan. only reason, just because he well, has because a small the, economy. You know, there are other there are other organizations that they could call for. But one of the things that Zelensky did say in his speech was he was calling essentially for a new world order for the world's democracies to get together and defend each other. Yeah. I, I want to pull that out of his speech and rant about it at some length. Uh, I really haven't had the time today okay, to do so. Okay, good. Good. But, Looking yeah, forward to it. Yeah, thank you, Gloria. It's fairly clear that, you know, the UN is not up to this task. And obviously they're not part of NATO. So what do you do? You know, what what is it? What's a democracy to do? Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaugh, Chase Spross, and the folks who run our uh, chat room over on YouTube, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabberwocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor Arroyo, and Carter Verdi. Thank you to you all. And thank you for listening and watching our program. Get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.